As we open up to Luke chapter 6, verse 17, it says, He went down with them and stood on a level place. Last week, I was really sick. How many of you have got the really sick thing going on? You know, I, I hate to complain, but that 100 and, 101, 100, it was 102.5 for three days or whatever it was. I wanted to go see Jesus, but he said no. Um, and, you know, I called Pablo last, last minute, and the brother pulled it off. And, and his daughter, Ellie, led worship. And just what a blessing you two were to me last week. So thank you so much. Um, Pablo covered Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, when Jesus spent all night on a mountainside praying to the Father. And from that time of seeking the Father, he called the disciples to himself and chose 12 from among them and designated them apostles, which means sent ones. And these 12 apostles, with the exception of Judas, would be the chosen ones that uh, were appointed by Jesus to go and bear lasting fruit. He would send them into the world and multiply uh, disciples. He said to go and make disciples. And so these were the guys that he chose out of his disciples uh, after a, a, a night of prayer and designated them as apostles, the sent ones. And it says in verse 17 that he went down with them and stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal regions around Tyre and Sidon. Now, unless you have a Bible map, you're not really going to know. I don't know if we got the Bible map in there. Oh, is it up there? Hey, look at that. It's hard to read all those little itty-bitty letters. But the idea is that People were coming to, I didn't get my laser pointer this morning, but Jesus is up in this area. He's ministering in the area of the Galilee. So if this were Walla Walla, that's kind of where he is. And people were coming from all the way down in Judea. They're coming down from Southern California and California and Sacramento, right? Jerusalem is kind of right here, right? And even people from Tyre and Sidon, see up there, Seattle, and we're getting into Canada. They're all coming over here to see Jesus. And that's, that's basically what's uh, the geography of the situation. From, to walk from, um, if you were healthy, to walk from Jerusalem all the way up to Galilee would take you about three days, a three days journey. And so people were seriously walking great distances to, be, to hear Jesus speak and to be healed by Jesus. Um, and it says, those troubled by pure spirits were cured, verse 19, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. This is a fascinating verse to me. Power was emanating from Jesus Christ and people just touching Jesus Christ were healed. I want some of that. Amen? I mean... It is just absolutely fascinating when you read this. And one of the ways people were, were cured, not to mention Jesus praying for people and touching people, but they were just grabbing onto him and, and they were cured. And that's a medical term there for, uh, uh, that word cured is Luke as a doctor and he's using a medical term. It's, it's therapeuo. This is where we get the word therapy or therapeutic, which is the idea to bring healing or to cure or to restore health. And Jesus is therapeutic. He was the original physical therapist, so to speak. He owns that. He brings health. He brings healing. He is the source of all those things. He's the source of life. 
You know, one of the one of the best uh, physical therapists in the Valley Altitudes Horn is uh, well, Randy Castleman. I love Randy. Woo! <laughs> and any of those in pain? I mean, remember when he moved to Dayton? Uh, any of you follow him over to Dayton? We followed him. Our family went over to Dayton. We're like, because he helps. There was relief. There was therapy, and so you you would go great distances to go see Jesus because of 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 what he could do. The people were coming to hear and to be healed by Jesus. And verse 19 tells us that people were trying to touch him because that power was coming. And I, I can't even really even begin to understand what that was like. Um, the Lord gives us some pictures. You know, what grace was emanating from Jesus Christ? God in the flesh. Just healing in his very presence. I mean, isn't that just fascinating? That just, I long for that. And one day he will wipe away every tear. One day all of our ails will be gone in his presence. I can't wait for that day. Today is a day of suffering, it seems. But on that day when we see him face to face, oh man, that's going to be, what a, what a day. You know, we get a little insight into what this power was like. We'll get there in Luke 8, probably in around a year. But it says there was a woman with an issue of blood, you know, with, with 12, who had it for 12 years. And it says in Luke 8, when she reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, he, he was healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter pipes up and he says, everybody's touching you. Right? He says, no, no, no. Someone touched me because I sensed that power came out for me and she was healed. And, and the woman kind of said, no, I didn't touch you. And then he exposes her because it's an embarrassing situation. But nevertheless, we get this insight into the power of Christ to heal. And I don't think it's any mistake that this happened after a night of, of him seeking his Father. He was in prayer, in, 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 in communion with the, po- the Father, and this, and this ministry uh, poured out from Christ. But Jesus was healing all of them. It says everybody who was touching was healed. Now, there are those who, who, who focus, and I have at times, on on healing as Jesus' main mission. Uh, we focus on the healing power of Jesus Christ as his, his main mission, and that isn't the case. That isn't the case. The truth is that the healing preceded the message. The, 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 the healing preceded the message. We see this happening in the Old Testament when the covenant was established. We see this happening uh, when, the, when the prophetic school was, was established. And we see it also here when Jesus in the new covenant, when it was being established. But the, the healing preceded the message. The truth is that the healing was not the main message. The main message was, the main mission was preaching the good news of the gospel to them. Case in point, if you flip back to Luke 4, when Jesus healed many people, it says in verse 42 through 44, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him, keep them from, keep him from leaving, right? Hey, stay here and heal some more. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. Because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues. The miracles were so that people would listen to the message. The miracles were so that people would listen to the message. Now, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm a Sometimes I've been known to be a stubborn guy. Um, 
around certain areas of my house. Um, but, you know, I'll get something new and, or, or I'm trying to fix something and, and I just assume that, you know, that every, I have this inner belief that everything should be intuitive. Anybody else? Like you just got, oh, you know, forget the directions. It'll, it'll explain itself as you go along. I've learned over the years that that's not the best approach. But after messing everything up, after getting, you know, in a bind, I usually, you know, we get, I get on YouTube and find out what really in the world to do. Or I, find, I open up the instructions, and, and I've got all these parts, you know, across the, uh, across the floor, and I'm, I'm, I'm missing stuff. And, you know, it's just, I go back, and I, then I get guidance from someone. Then I find out how in the world I'm supposed to do. Anybody else like me, or are all of you just perfect? All right, the rest of you are perfect. Way to go, team. You know, but sadly, as people, we, we do the same thing with our lives. You know, living life according to God's plan is not intuitive. It's actually counterintuitive. You know, and it won't be before long before we've got the parts all over the floor. Anyone? You know, our, our marriages aren't intuitive. How many of you just like, you get married and, oh, it just works? <laughs> Parenting. Oh, yeah, that's natural. Managing your money, you know, following after the kingdom, denying so all these things. Oh, yeah, it just comes naturally. No, it does not. And I feel like I've got a dishwasher of a life in all over the place, you know, and leaking everywhere and dishes piled up and I have no idea what to do. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and Luke has been making the point that he is Lord. He is Lord over sickness he is Lord over sin. He is Lord over demons. He is Lord over the Sabbath. He is Lord of life. He knows exactly where all the parts get put together. And he walks in with a matter of seconds to someone and he snaps it all back together. And not only do that just to one person, he keeps doing it over and over and over and over and over. And he, and he just keeps doing this across this, this, this place, this map we saw. And people's lives are changed and snapped back together. And do you think that when someone walks into your world and does that, and then he says, hey, now let me tell you how life's really supposed to work. Do you think that then they're starting to pay attention? And they do. Not all of them, but they start to pay attention to the Lord of life. That's what Jesus does in this scenario. He's putting people back together again. And when he says, now let me tell you how not only to fix man's deepest problem, which is that we are separated from a holy God because of our sin. Not only did he say you must be born again, and by the way, I am going to be the sacrifice that will take away your sins. I will be your substitute, and through faith in me you are now have eternal life, and you'll be born again. The major problem, not only that, but once we are born again, he tells us actually how to live life in the kingdom. Amen? I want you to have abundant life. How does this life in the kingdom work? Because it's not going to work the way you've been trying it with parts all over. It's not going to be, you know, intuitive. It's going to be counterintuitive. It's going to be of the Spirit. And that's what he's teaching us about, how to live according to the kingdom as these citizens of this new kingdom. And Jesus, Jesus uh, he chooses these 12 after a night of prayer, and he is now going to use and send them into the world as ambassadors of the kingdom. And is now using them to illustrate what, a, what life 
in the kingdom as a follower of the Lord of life is supposed to look like, and by the way, what it's also not supposed to look like. He does that through verses 20 through 26 and beyond, where Jesus gives us four blessings and four woes, four, ad- four ad- attributes that will, will, will typify what a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ will look like as he's bringing down these 12 and speaking to them said, blessed are you. And then he starts saying, woe to you in that same crowd. And so he gives us four attributes that will typify a follower of Jesus Christ and four attributes that will really typify a false follower of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 20, he says, looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, if you are a student of the word, you might be thinking, hey, something's missing from this. Blessed are you who are poor in what? Spirit, correct? Now, does he say that in Luke? What does he say? Blessed are you who are poor. So what is he talking about in Luke? He's not talking about what Matthew's talking about. He's talking about blessed are you who are poor, flat out poor. Sometimes poor means poor. Did you know that? It's kind of weird when you get into the Bible. What does all mean? All means all, poor means poor. Yeah, it's kind of just take it for what it is. And so, you know, as I began to read this, I, you know, I was blown away the cobwebs. I was thinking back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke 6 is really a condensed version of that sermon in many ways. However, they are two different messages, I believe. They're two different messages. Matthew 5 is on a mountainside and Jesus sits, sits to speak. Luke 6 says what? He comes down to a level place and stands and teaches. Similar content, two different areas, two different focuses that he's talking about. That's why they call this one like the Sermon on the Plain quite often. And so Matthew begins by saying, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew speak about spiritual bankruptcy. You've got to be poor in spirit. You've got to have an empty spiritual bank account before you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. You can't earn your way. You must realize that you are in debt to God eternally, apart from His grace. That's Matthew's focus. Luke says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Luke is speaking about literally being poor. Literally being poor. And And this is one of the attributes that typified the disciples. It typified the disciples. They were often poor. And Jesus says, boys, be happy. You who have given up everything. You who are poor now. For what? Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. The disciples had given up all to follow Jesus. We'll read about that in, in, in Luke 19. I'm sorry, in Matthew 19, just a few minutes, but they'd given up all to follow Jesus. They'd given up family businesses. They had set the nets down. They had left the tax collecting booth. Often they had left family members, land, and they had decided to what? Follow Jesus. That cost them something. It cost them in their, in their pocketbook. They were literally poor. Now, there's a danger of reading a verse like this and looking at my bank balance and going, 
there's nothing in there. I must be blessed by God. Now, uh, how many of us can kind of look that? You ever just kind of like done that kind of, you know, poor study of the word? Oh, look, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed because I don't have anything. That's not necessarily translating here. That's not what, what's going on. That's not always the case. Being monetarily poor doesn't necessarily mean that you are to apply this verse and say, hey, I'm poor, I have God's blessing, okay? Now, I think we've got a problem in the opposite direction in, in, in many of the teaching where, where they say, in order for you to have God's blessing, you must have a big bank account, you must have health, and you have blessing. What? Are you kidding me? Our bank account doesn't deal with our hearts. I don't know how to describe that. Um, it reveals our hearts, I think, in many, in, in many ways. And so, so there's a lot of people out there who would, would preach the other way to say, in order for you to have the blessings of God, you need to have this and this and this. And they fly around in their Learjets and all that type of stuff. And, and they'll have to answer to God. And we each will, according to uh, what God's given us. But the disciples, they, they were poor. They had given up all to follow Jesus. But there are cases of poverty that do not glorify God. There are cases of, of being poor that are a result of, of sin. And, and, and that is not what God is blessing here. Let me give you four examples. Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. All hard work brings a profit, but, but mere talk leads only to poverty. If you're poor because you don't work, you're not under God's blessing. If you don't work, you can't, and you have nothing in your can't, you go say, oh, blessed are the poor, for there's the kingdom of God. What in the world are you talking about? If you're lazy at your job, and you're talking all the time, and you get fired, don't turn around and say, oh, look, I'm getting persecuted for the kingdom. No, you're a horrible worker. Repent. <laughs> Start getting back to work. Stop talking so much. Start making your employer blessed. Be a blessing to them. Amen. We should have a tremendous Christian work ethic, and God's been teaching me that over the years. Amen? We should be the, 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 the people who will say yes and amen, and we do our work hard, and, and, our, and, and our employers are blessed because of us. Amen? And so, uh, you know, if, if you're, you're poor because you lose your job because you're a bad employee, don't turn around and say, I'm blessed by God. You need to start talking and get back to work. That's, one. that's, that's what the Bible calls idleness. Do we know that? It's called idleness. And actually, the scriptures go further in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6-12. I won't go into it all, but it says that your brothers and sisters in the Lord are under the commandment of the Lord, if you're in that situation, not to help you. He who does not work does not eat. And so if we go against that and we start helping you because you're lazy, guess what? We're in sin. And we might think, oh, it's loving and kind to help someone who doesn't work. No, they need to starve. They do. They need to get motivated by hunger and move. Amen? That's a hard teaching. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, another one speaks of the sluggard or lazy man. Any of you have ants in your house? Occasionally I have an ant in my house. And I won't tell you where I am, but I'm sitting there looking at uh, an ant. I'm like, man, that guy's just, he's always busy. Like, what does he do? He, I don't even think he knows what he's... No, he is just, he's following some... There's the other guy. And they just keep, like, getting stuff and bringing it back, and they're going constantly. 
And one of the, one of the things he's talking about is, hey, you got get out of bed. As he says, get out of bed, start working. Look at the ant. Can't you take your cue from an ant? From crying out loud. This guy, he's, he's, he's taking stuff. He's going back and forth. And when winter comes, guess what? It's amazing. You know how cold it was this last winter? And yet the ant came back. For crying out loud. How in the world did that happen? Because he was busy. He was busy. He was storing stuff. And so don't be lazy. If you're lazy and, 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 and you've got poverty, you don't have income because you're a lazy person, that's not a blessing of God. You're not under the blessing of God if you're a lazy person. Another, poverty that God does not bless. Here's another one. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. As haste leads to poverty. So if you're not diligent but are hasty and reckless, if you aren't thinking through what you're doing, if you aren't a planning person, if you don't think ahead, God has given us minds. Amen? Don't be hasty. Don't just jump because there's a bubble in the market and you're going to throw your money into housing or whatever and all that stuff. Think things through. Pray things through. Plan. Use the brain that God's given you. Get wise counsel. Amen? I don't know how many people, it was such pressure to buy a house back when the bubble was going back in 2007 or something like that. Everybody was buying houses and they would do whatever they could to go buy that house. Interest-only loans or they did the arm loan, or whatever it was. And man, everybody got upside down. They were not thinking ahead. And so they they came to poverty. That's not something the Lord would have us to do. And so uh, to not be diligent and to be hasty and reckless with your money, that's not the kind of poverty God blesses. One last one. Or how about Proverbs 28, 19? Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Are you listening, gamers? <laughs> John and I play this, this, this video game called Farming Simulator. You're literally f- simulating farming. Like, and you realize after two hours, three hours of playing this game that you farmed virtually nothing. <laughs> but you've got all these things that do not exist in front of you, and you're like, you have this false sense of that. And I was talking to John, I'm like, man, there's like real dirt outside. Let's go, let's go actually like dig a hole and put something in it and, and watch something grow. You know what I mean? Instead of simulating farming, let's actually you know, farm. Let's, let's do something with our lives. But it's so darn addicting chasing fantasies. Anyone else? Yeah, and in this in this world is there's just so much to to chase after. This world is full of worthless pursuits. I mean, sometimes I think we could use another Great Depression to wake us up. You know, I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean just a cleansing. You know, the world's just full of craziness. I just read uh, the other day that someone spent who knows how many thousands of dollars uh, in South America to transform himself into an elf. <clears throat> I am not kidding you. Someone transformed themselves. They're the first trans species or whatever it is. Tran- and they look like, like an elf. Don't do that. <laughs> I mean, just like if you walk away with anything this morning, do not play farming simulator and do not transform yourself into an elf. Those things are worthless pursuits. and They lead to poverty. That, <laughs> that kind of poverty is, is what God does not bless. Amen? 
And so, and so don't think that a low bank account means that, that you are blessed by God, nor the opposite, that because you have an abundance that it's somehow a sign of God's blessing. The fact is that the disciples, now apostles, chose to become poor for the sake of the kingdom. They had left families. They had left jobs. They had left income for the sake of following Christ. And Christ is the same with us. He comes to us and says, are you going to follow me? Will you give it up? Will you come? Will you do this or that? And the, the, the thing that quite often keeps us from following Jesus is, is our love of money, our love of possessions, our love of relationships, our love of whatever. We refuse to become poor for the sake of the kingdom. We choose to put our stakes down for this world, this kingdom. If you remember John the Baptist, he was preaching in the wilderness. It's back in Luke 4. You can flip over there. Following Jesus in in the kingdom is going to affect our bank account. It's going to affect us. These disciples that Jesus had chosen had become poor for the sake of the kingdom. And we learn this in Matthew 19, which we'll end with in just a few minutes, where Peter says in verse 27, he says, we have left everything to follow you. We have left everything to follow you. Back to John the Baptist. If you remember, he was preaching in the wilderness the message of repentance. He was preaching a a fiery message, and it was just cutting to the heart of the people of Israel. They had been just so consumed with their darkness. There was just, there was a lack of love. There was people taking advantage of one another. There was just, God's people were not being God's people. And John's message of repentance really cut through. And in Luke 4, 8 through 14, John says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. What should we do then? And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should what? Share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Now, if you have two shirts and you share one, what happens to your shirt account? You have less shirt. (laughs) Correct? You have one shirt. What happens to your bottom line? You become poorer so that others might become rich. Does that make sense? He goes on, same thing with food. You have food, give to someone who has none. This is the way the kingdom works. Following Christ isn't going to make you richer. Do you know that? Now, we know God's principle of giving. It's more blessed to give than receive, and God, he returns it to us, packed down and all that stuff. But that's not why we do it. In this life, it will cost you as your faith in God is manifested in how you live and lay down your life for his kingdom. It will cost you. 
We see this being lived out in, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, 30, 32 to 35. Keep, stay there in Luke chapter 4. I'm just going to jump over for a second. If you remember in Luke 4, it says, All the believers were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no need No needy person among them. For from time to time, those who own land or houses, they what? They sold them, took the proceeds, and laid them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. What happened to those people who had things? They were motivated by the Holy Spirit in the kingdom to lay them down for the kingdom. They gave up houses, land, property, and we're going to take a big offering after we're done here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm like, better roll with this. No, I'm just kidding. What, what was their motive? Love. Love for the Lord. Love for his people. Love for his kingdom. And they realized, you know what? These things are assets that God has given me to, to give away, to invest in the kingdom. That's what this life is about. It was beautiful. And you see, these men and women, they were selling and they were giving for the sake of the kingdom. But it's, but it's only in selling and giving that we become poor. It's only when we lay down our pursuits. It's only when we lay down what we want and deny ourselves and pick up and cro- follow Christ that we, that we actually truly find life. And so Jesus is teaching his people what it's like to be a part of the kingdom. He has these 12 guys and said, look at these guys. They've given them up. They've given it up. Blessed are you and you're poor. I know you're hurting right now. I know you're hungry. I know you're weeping. I know you're going to be rejected. What you're living right now will be rewarded. That's how they treated the, 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 uh, the prophets. You line up with them. But the four woes line up with the false followers of Christ who refuse, who live for riches, who live to feed their stomach, who laugh now, who people speak well of them now because they refuse to identify with Christ. And we'll get there. Back to John the Baptist. It isn't just selling and giving what we have to become poor. John the Baptist continues, Luke 4, verses 12 to 13, where it says, verses 12 and 13 say, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? What do the tax collectors do? John says, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Tax collectors were taking advantage of people. They were Roman kind of guys. Yes. Chapter three is the, thank you, my love, wing woman. Chapter three, not chapter four. Four, verse 12 and 13. Sorry, everybody. But even the tax collectors came to be baptized, right? And, and, and they were cutting corners. They were taking advantage of people, weren't they? That's the way the world works. They went and took advantage of people. They charged them more than they should. They take the profits and they go buy the super camel to come into work. Everybody's like, that's a nice camel you got. That's right. Well, what happens if you don't cut corners anymore? You're not taking advantage of people. You're being honest in your business. You're actually paying your taxes. When you know you, if you just check that box, you just get $1,000, $2,000 more back, right? 
But you don't do that because you're not living that way. You're living for the king. And this is going to hurt. But I'm his kid, and this is how we live. And you do that, and you don't, you're coming in on the donkey now. You see, you're poor in spirit, yes, but you're poor. Blessed are you when you're poor, when you don't cut the corners, so to speak. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. This is what typifies a son and a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't cut corners. It hurts. On my way this morning, I was listening to Ravi Zacharias. I love Ravi Zacharias. I mean, guy's awesome. Sometimes I have to play it over and over to figure out what in the world he's saying because I'm not that smart yet. I'm growing. But he was telling the story of, of the owner of Eckert Drugstore that had over, you know, 2,000 stores. And the owner became a Christian at one point in his life. And he walked into one of his stores and he realized he had an area of pornographic magazines on his wall. And it just grieved him. And he talked to the manager and said, all that goes. And then he started connecting with all the other managers and said, all the stores, 2,000 stores, we're going to go ahead and we're done with that stuff. It's gone. And he did. They eradicated from all their, their drugstore chains. And someone else who was, was to do in business talked to him and said, is it because of your new Christian faith that you're, you're doing that? He's all, why else would I give up $3 million? Why else would he give up the profit? Because he was living after the king in his convictions. You see, it permeates everything. It permeates our business. It permeates our families. It's, the kingdom is all-inclusive. Everything we do. Are you willing to be poor for the king and truly become rich? Just finished John the Baptist and finished our story. Then verse 14. Then some soldiers asked him, what, what should we do? He said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. As followers of Christ, we don't use our positions to manipulate and get the best for us, but to become blessings for others. That's different. We're different now. We might not get all the perks. We might be giving the perks to someone else. And to be content with your pay. How many of you are content with your pay? That's a hard one. If you, if you are struggling and, or you, you have other people who are doing the same job as you and they're getting paid more and you're working harder but they've got the ends and all that stuff, to be content with your pay. Don't you just want to fight for your right? You know what I mean? That, that, just that flesh comes up. Be content. That's... It's a whole other message. But everyone else is going to cut corners. They're going to extort. They might do that, but we don't do that. We don't cheat on our taxes. Nobody knows. The Lord knows. We're, we serve for Him. And, and we're to be content, not covetous. We're to be content even with less, knowing that our riches are incorruptible and that the Lord will take care of our needs according to His riches and glory. That we're more important than the birds. You know? He'll take care of us. When you're poor, be
because you are adhering to the author of life and how he says life is to be lived, then you're blessed. How many of us struggle with, with tithing and giving because we don't want to be experience poverty in some area? I've struggled with that. Anybody else? And that's what keeps us forgiving. I want to have my Starbucks. Or, or I don't, that's a, 10%'s a lot if you're going by that number, you know what I mean? That would really affect me. I would become poorer. <laughs> yes, you would. And this isn't a manipulation. It's just, it's just practically of how we, how we live our kingdom lives. Amen? In closing, I want to contrast that first blessing of being poor with, you know, being poor for Christ with the corresponding woe that Jesus gives in verse 24 where Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have, you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Who's he talking to? He's talking to disciples. And he equates this last group with the false prophets, and he equates the first group with the, with the prophets of old. He says, Woe to you are rich, for you have already received your com- com- uh, comfort. If you quickly flip over to Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16, you'll have to catch up to me. It says, Just then, so Matthew 19, verse 16, it says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about, uh, about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good, and if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about that last one. Where was that one? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? He sensed there was still a lacking in his life. What did Jesus answer? He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures where? In heaven. And then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, at this point, this man would not become poor. We don't know what happened to the story, but at this point, he loved riches more than he loved Christ. When it came down to it, he chose the temporary comfort of money over the eternal comfort of Christ. He said, you have your comfort. This is it. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? It's impossible. And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I've seen God work through the richest of men in great humility and I've seen I've seen the poorest of men with hardened hardened hearts towards God in their bitterness and I've seen the other way around uh, Peter answered in verse 27 we have left everything to follow you 
what then will there be for us? We've sacrificed in this life. We've given up everything to follow you, Lord Jesus. And what does Jesus say to that? What does he say to you when you give, when you become poor, when you give your, your one of your two tunics away, when you are following Jesus, when you give up the job, when you lay down things that the Spirit is saying to, to do to follow Jesus Christ? And that's between you and him, amen? When, what happens? Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So he's speaking to those, those, those disciples right there, and he said, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be judges. You're going to be kings. But he says, and everyone, this is us, who has left house, brothers or sisters or fathers or, or mothers or wife, wife might not be in the original just to let you know, or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. What poverty you experience in this life for the kingdom, becoming poor for the Lord, as you lay down your lives for him. Guess what the interest rate is? What's the interest rate? 100%. Like he says, and you receive a hundredfold, whatever that means. You know how great I am at math. It's a lot more. <laughs> you give up lands now, a hundredfold and eternal life. What Jesus is saying is, I'm giving you really big numbers which you can't even comprehend your reward on that day when you see me and you have sacrificed for my kingdom and you've chosen not to have comfort in this world but to trust in the promise when I stand in front of you and I reward you for your faithfulness, you won't even comprehend what it is. That's faith, brothers and sisters. So in closing... We don't just want to be hearers, but we want to be doers, like Arthur spoke this morning. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that area. Don't be afraid of poverty. Don't be fearful of the void of a relationship, the void of bank account money, void of, of, of giving away something that is precious to you for the sake of the kingdom, because he said to do that out of obedience and love. To love is to obey Christ but embrace it, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Lord God, we, we, we close now and we just lift up our lives and our hearts to you. We ask that, that your word would just seep deep into our souls and our lives. That our comfort would not be in this world, but it would be in you. We thank you for the sure promise that we have of our treasures being in heaven. And they're all found in you, Lord Jesus. You are our treasure. You are our exceedingly great reward. So God, I pray that we wouldn't have any rich young rulers in here. That you would go into the recesses of our hearts cause us to become poor for you, Lord. Show us the needy. Show us the hurting. Show us the lost. The brother or sister needs help. 
and let us give. Because you emptied yourself and became poor for us that we might become rich. So we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, amen.